Hey, what's up? Let's see what's going on. We are watching uh, George Conway and Michael Cohen, Treason Watch, ten months and, ago. And I think, um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, the Benghazi didn't really do the Republicans any good. Spent a lot of effort on it, but nobody knew. Nobody can to this day. Very few people can explain what the hell that was about. So I, 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 I don't think. I think they're going to cause a lot of chaos, uh, but I think at the end of the day, I, I, I think they're going to end up fighting themselves as much as fighting anyone. They, there's a tendency there. They, they are not. These are not people who work who, who are interested in government governance, and they don't. They don't even work well together. Um, so I, I, I think that, that even if they win the House in 2022, um, I think they're going to end up doing themselves harm in the long run. You know, a lot of people, though, George, would turn around and if you were you know, a member of the GOP, they would turn around and tell you that you can use that exact statement that you just made when you're referencing the two impeachment trials against Donald. That it didn't do anything for the Democrats. In fact, it possibly hurt the Democratic Party. Oh, that's right, and 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 that's that's one of the reasons why Nancy Pelosi was sort of a latecomer to the impeachment bandwagon. Mm. You know, it, it took the Ukraine matter. Her, you know, pulled the trigger on that. The multiple counts of obstruction that were identified at length in the Mueller report weren't sufficient. And she was very much conscious of the fact that it takes, you know, it takes an incredible amount of public support to, to impeach a president and remove him from office because it's never been done. And you really have to, people really have to be fired up um, in the public and understand exactly what's going on. And you have to grab their attention. And um, at the same time, it, it's going to be hard to get in a polarized political environment, get 67 votes to convict in the United States Senate. Oh. So you're basically engaging potentially in a, in a futile act. And she, she basically dragged her heels on impeachment for political reasons because for a long time, because, you know, she understood that her majority depended on these purple districts where there were Democrats who had won in in, in uh, rural and conservative districts, and so so it, it took the Ukraine the outrage of of, of him um, extorting an, an ally um, for her to basically say we have to do this at that point. And I don't think she did it because she thought there was going to be huge political upside. I think she did it at that point because without she couldn't not do it because of what what he had done. So yeah, I I, I don't I, I don't think. Impeachment, I don't think, is necessarily a political plus. It didn't help the Republicans in 1998 when they impeached uh, Bill Clinton. And I don't know that, you know, unless you have something the public's truly outraged, I don't think it will help the Republicans in 2023. Um, that, you know, that doesn't mean that you know, because there's not a political benefit to it that sometimes it isn't, isn't, it isn't, it's right to, it doesn't mean that it's not right to impeach the president. It was right to impeach Donald Trump twice because he did commit high crimes and misdemeanors um, within the meaning of the Constitution. He did violate his oath of office twice. Um, and frankly, if the Senate had done its job the second time around, if Mitch McConnell probably you know, looks back and lose the, lose the moment he decided not to encourage his, his, his uh, fellow caucus members to vote to 
Trump uh, in February, the February 2021 trial of the ability to run for office in the future. That was a missed opportunity for him and for the Republican Party. It was also just the wrong thing to do. Yeah, you know, when I was talking about the poll um, about the midterm, uh, coming midterm elections, the poll I was actually referring to is um, NBC had a poll whereby they believe that the Democrats are going to take a shellacking. And then they go ahead and they give like this little history lesson. As far as during the course of my life, there's only been, I think, two times where the party that was controlling the White House actually gained House seats. One of them, believe it or not, was President Clinton. And the other one was George W. Bush, who both had approval ratings north of 60 percent. So if you take a look to see where are we at right now with Joe ah. Biden, he's somewhere in like the low 40s, 41, 42 percent. So my recommendation, if I was able to sit there and sit down with the guy, I would say, first and foremost, many of these uh, messages from the White House that he's doing, it's too much. You know, we came off of a situation where Tano never went before the camera unless it was something for, again, stroking his own ego where he put up a big gigantic sign of what the stimulus check was going to look like. And of course, the biggest signature, right, was like if it was on the Constitution, was Donald's signature at the bottom. Remember when he stopped uh, Steve Mnuchin from having his name on the stimulus checks because he wanted his, right? These, these are real issues. What he needs to do is he needs to, in my estimation, he needs to get Merrick Garland on. There's so much misinformation, disinformation that's being put out there. There's so many individuals that have violated our Constitution, and they managed to just slide by. And I think that's eroding the country's faith in our democratic process. And it's giving the Foxes, the OAMs, the Newsmax an opportunity to take advantage of that misinformation, to continue to promote it, continue to sow this chaos, and so on. And Interestingly enough, it has the opposite effect of what you would think, which is that people would walk away from that party of fucking liars and go to the party that actually wants to do something good for the country. But it, it's not happening that way. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I, your point about Garland, I, I, I fear may be right. I think the one bright spot in the near future, I think, will be these televised hearings from the January 6th Select Committee. I think that they are, we, we, you know, some of the evidence is kind of filtering out now, and dribbling a little bit out, but from what I, I think it's just the tip of the iceberg, and I think there's going to be a very, I think if they do this correctly, and they seem to be very skilled at this, um, this particular group of people, um, they're going to tell a story about January 6th and about what happened in the 2020 election that I think it's going to be captivating. And I, maybe it can be just, we can only hope it's a, it's a massive um, positive civics lesson for the country, and particularly the people in the middle who, who don't, who kind of, you know, think it's all just a lot of norms. And maybe, maybe some good can come out of that, and, and, and who knows, could it maybe it might affect the 2022 midterms, and certainly it, it might affect, um, you know, Donald Trump's political future. Yeah, well, well, one can only hope, but I don't have confidence in that. But I do want to say this, George, on Friday, you retweeted an interesting post from Juliet Kaya that read, and I quote, the fake elector's investigation is like the dun-dun theme in Jaws. First slow, like it seems not a big deal, but then it picks up speed for the catch. Now, 
across multiple states using the same language. Lots of people were told to sign a document key to Trump's plan. It is, it's the sound of dread. If you would, unpack what you think she means for my listeners. And how consequential will this wind up being? And will this be the final nail in the coffin for Rudy Colludi Giuliani? That's an interesting, well, those are all interesting questions. I mean, I think what I'm actually in retrospect surprised that these fake electoral certificates didn't get as much play a year ago than they did, but, but there was just so much else going on, the violence on Capitol Hill and the attempts, and, and the attempts to, to, to launch objections on the floor of the House and on the Senate and, and Trump's rhetoric. These these, elect these fake electors meetings, which were viewed at the time as oh yeah they're having this is just a political show, um, kind of got washed away in all the noise. When in fact, you know, when you submit false documents to the government, you're, you're violating any number of federal laws when you do that, and um, you're, you could be conspiring to defraud the United States. You could be violating the False Statement Statute uh, 1001. There are any number of statutes that you could be, you could be, you you could be charged with, including again the, the one one charge that is uh, being levied against many of the rioters in January 6, which is attempting to obstruct a congressional proceeding. And these, with, with two exceptions possibly, a couple of states, they carefully said, you know, this is contingent upon something or other, contingent upon finding that we actually won the election. These were basically copying the forms that you're supposed to use for the victorious electoral slate in a state where the, you know, the presidential candidate actually won. And these things were false. And they were submitted to the National Archives. They were submitted to the Congress of the United States. They were filed in federal district courts according to under the Electoral Count Act throughout the nation. And, you know, that's just illegal. And to get people to sign fake documents is conspiring to do that kind of is conspiring to engage in, 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 in serial illegality. And I think you're right. I mean, I guess this could be, this, this could be trouble for Rudy Giuliani. And it, it also is to, to, to the extent that it was done with Donald Trump's knowledge, which it probably was because it was, Rudy was doing it and it was part of the plan that was laid out. They were cited in John Eastman's legal memo you know, this was part of, this is part of a multi-pronged effort to disrupt and to prevent Joe Biden from being elected president um, by Congress, in Congress, by the counting of the electoral votes on January 6th. It was an attempt to obstruct that proceeding. You know, it was multifaceted. And this is, may actually be one of the easiest aspects of it to be. You see, that's the thing that frustrates, not just my listeners, but it's frustrating all Democrats that are out there and all independents that are out there, that our, that our Justice Department is so slow across the board when it comes to Donald Trump. For example, we already know here in New York, according to, you know, Tish James, that he overvalued his primary residence. And of course, you know, because I used to live in a Trump building as well, right? He overvalued that property like 300%. He claimed it was 33,000 square feet. It's 11,000. He claimed it was worth 250 million. It was worth under 100. 
And he did it for the purpose of being able to inflate his personal financial statement or for what? So that he can get preferential loans and rates when it comes to, you know, insurance or borrowing money, right? That's a crime. So why are we worrying about everything else? Just when you have, when you have the meat, just put it on the fucking barbecue. Let's go. Yeah, it's like, right? it's, what are you saving it for? Yeah, and it, that to it, me anything, is what drives people yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean, anything he did, it's illegal to that, you know, under New York state law would also, you know, under the tax law or as a bank fraud, it would also violate, you know, it, it would violate federal tax law or mail or wire fraud statutes. Bank fraud, wire statutes, fraud, yeah, misrepresentation all, statutes, all of it. At, all of it is just, you know, there, there's, there, there, there would be a corresponding federal charge to every potential state charge that, that probably, probably that they're looking into. And, you know, why, I, why they've left it completely to the, to the, to the, to the AG and to the. Attorney General Garland should do is appoint multiple special prosecutors, one to deal with the New York stuff, uh, and one, you know, one could deal with the Stormy Daniels stuff, one could deal with January 6th related stuff, and, and you know, there, there were just, and one could deal with Ukraine, uh, uh, one could deal with Russia, one would deal with also the uh, obstruction that, that was uh, dealt with in the uh, Mueller report. I mean, there were just so many things that you know, any of us other, if anybody other than he would have been, would have been investigated to a fairly well. Well, I don't think you'd be investigated. I think you would be attached to a tree and executed. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really it's well, gone to after, a point where after a fair trial, my God, after a fair trial. Well, not if Trump has anything to say with that. But what what ends up happening? People turn around, George. People turn around. They're like, wait, what else does this motherfucker have to do? before he's finally brought to justice. And the answer that they're saying is no one's going to touch him because he's the former president. And it's so unusual. We've never in this country been in a situation where the former president is being charged or is being investigated, I should say, into about 30 different crimes. Yeah. And, and, and to, to, you know, and, and to basically let it all slide is to say that presidents and former presidents are above the law. And that's particularly particularly true here in a circumstance where you're dealing with the one president of the United States who actually tried to end constitutional democracy in the United States by, by overturning a free and fair election and basically making himself president for life. So, I, you know, I'm with you there, Michael. You know, I constantly repeat this, and it's, again, worth re-noting. There was a time where he heard a statement that somebody made about Vladimir Putin. And that statement, if you take that statement and compare it to everything that's going on right now, it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the votes. And he used to say that in the office all the time. That's literally that, all the time. That was Stalin. That was, yes. that was Stalin. Yeah, Stalin yes. said that. Yeah, you got, you, you, yes, it but, but Vladimir Putin... Yeah, but Putin has taken it to, oh, of yeah, course, absolutely. the extreme. Let's, all, I mean, let's all, not forget. All authoritarians, uh, that, that's, their, that's their belief. 
And yeah, I mean, I mean you recall, he, you recall he, George when, you know, you recall when, uh, for example, Putin had, um, he wasn't able to run because of the Russian Constitution, right, which was the two terms, and so he made himself to into the prime, right, to the prime minister. And then after that, they changed the rules that he could run as yeah. often as he wants, and he always wins by like ninety-two percent. It's always a landslide. That's what Trump wanted to do. And if people just listen to that one sentence, right, which is something Trump used to repeat over and over again, and then put into perspective what he's doing right now with the electoral votes, with going after governor's offices and redoing these electoral, um, you know, counters and so on, this is what he's trying to do. He's setting it up for the future. And if he's not healthy enough, God forbid, you know, we're going to have, you know, Coach Smith and Don Jr. all over the place, right? Don Jr. will run, or your Princess Barbie Ivanka, or one of them will end up running. Not Eric, he's too stupid. But, you know, even his father will ultimately admit that to himself. But he'll put somebody, he'll designate somebody so that he could be the king, right, from Mar-a-Lago. I, you know, I'm hopeful that none of that ever comes to pass. I don't think anyone is capable of doing that. But, yeah, I mean, he wants to, he, he certainly wants to rig the game in his own favor. That's what he's spent his entire life doing. <laughs> Like God, you know who better be really careful, George? But people like Bezos, people like Elon Musk, uh, and and so on. Because the first thing Donald would do if he took over, he would do exactly what Mohammed bin Salman did, what Vladimir Putin does. He would go to Elon Musk and he would say, "Elon, how much? How much are you worth, Elon? What's your net worth now? What's a nice company so you have there?" <laughs> so he'll turn around, he'll go, about 300 billion. He'll go, try again. How much do you think you're worth? So he'll go, no, 300 billion. He goes, you're worth 10 billion. I just took 290. And he'll do that to Bezos and everyone else, very much like what Mohammed bin Salman did. He'll put them in the Ritz Carlton, hanging them upside down, and do whatever he needs to do in order to have them sign over their wealth. That's what he wants. He wants to be the richest man in the world. He wants to be the most powerful man. He is batshit crazy. Which brings me to this question to you, George. Last week, Norm Eisen wrote an op-ed for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that outlined the historic task ahead for the grand jury convened by D.A. Fannie Willis. Now, Eisen further goes on and he writes, and I quote, this ability to fully investigate and subpoena evidence is critical because the publicly available evidence may support charging Trump with several crimes under Georgia election law and other criminal statutes. How strong a case against Trump is there in Georgia? And where else could he find himself in similar legal jeopardy for this kind of election fraud? Well, the Georgia case is quite remarkable because he was recorded on tape asking for a specific number of votes, saying, all I need is 11,780 votes. That's just one more than we, you know, lost by. And that's just an, I mean, that, that was just that shit crazy thing to ask for. And, and, and Raffensperger reported that. And I, I you know, there are, I, I mean, to Norm's credit, Norm has done a great job. He and um, some other people for the Brookings Institute wrote a, you know, basically this tome explaining how uh, all of these things could violate 
Georgia law, and it's, it's a pretty substantial case um, that, that could be brought there. So I, you know, um, you know, I hope that I'm hopeful that uh, the, the, the special grand jury that um, is going to be in panel this spring in, in Fulton County, and, you know, pours through all of this and gets through all of this. And yet it goes right back to what we just finished talking about. We're all fucking exhausted. It's it called exhausted. Trump. It's called Trump fatigue, right? Absolutely. And what and what what we're all tired of. How many more hearings are we going to have? How many more of these? He's fucking dead. He's dead in the water. They wait till they impanel this and stuff. And then somewhere along the line. New chaos comes up, and then there's a new investigation, and then they're going to find that there's, of course, no text message or emails because he doesn't do that, but you can get 50, 60 yeah. people coming up talking about what he was doing on January 6th, why he waited 187 minutes before, you know, going out there and making the stupid statement that he did. But, George, last week, Politico revealed the existence of a stunning executive order that was actually never signed but showed the extent to which Trump would have gone to stay in power. Among other actions, it ordered the seizing of voting machines by the Department of Defense. I mean, it's described as a literal fucking coup. Who drafted the memo is still a mystery, although it's been widely ridiculed as being riddled with typos and formatting errors and basically drafted in crayon. Now, if it's drafted in crayon, we know who did it, right? Still... The content of the memo is terrifying, right? I mean, it is. It's fucking terrifying. What does it say to you about what is going on behind the scenes at the time? And how do you think the existence of this memo will ultimately help the January 6th committee? Well, I think what was going on at the time were that the inmates were running the asylum. And and there was, you know, there was a rear guard action by, I think, people in the White House Counsel's Office and maybe at the Justice Department to stop it. But, you know, people like um, Sidney Powell and Michael Flynn were, you know, running loose in the White House. Mike, Mark Meadows was allowing these people to, 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 to suggest these crazy ideas into the, into the ear of a crazy president. And, I mean, the notion that a, a document would be generated that's in the White House files that, that would, you know, that would contemplate such things which have basically no basis in law would violate many laws and would basically violate the Constitution. The notion that any of this could even get the, the light of day in the West Wing is is just, it's insane. And I think that, you know, I think one of the things the January 6th committee is going to be able to shine a lot light on is that, you know, Trump had reached and others around him um, had reached and how, how nutso some of these people were. And, I, you know, I, I, it's just scary that anybody, that some of the people who are advancing this stuff have, were anywhere near the White House grounds. Near it? They were sitting in the office They're with in the him. office, I understand. Let's, let's, just, let's just add to that list Steve Miller, Steve Bannon. I mean, you know, Jared, who was out there, not Jared is the same narcissistic sociopath that Donald is. Ivanka married her father, just obviously a whole lot thinner. And it's, it's crazy, simply because he doesn't give a fuck about anything other than now working with Middle Eastern money for his hedge fund. I mean, this, is, this guy is one of the worst fucking businessmen in New York 
making, making some of the worst real estate deals. And people, somehow he pulls together over two, three billion dollars into a hedge fund. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. I mean, That's this a is mystery insane. Well, it's, it's, it's not a mystery. It's somewhere along the line. It's payback for probably selling the Middle East, you know, armaments at a reduced price because Jared flew there a handful of times completely off the radar. I mean, this is this is what he does. He creates this internal group of fucking grifters that each and every one of them are thinking not about the United States of America, but about enriching themselves. And we will pledge our fealty to the, you know, the Fuhrer, to the Supreme Leader, so long as we're able to get ours. I mean, it's, 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 it's so crazy. It reminds me of like the movie Young Frankenstein. Remember there was that line, it's the nonsensical rantings of a lunatic mind? That's Donald. I mean, and the more crazy shit that he keeps spewing, the more, the more that that group of sycophantic followers of his, they just stay the course and they continue to fight for him. Like, again, if they were fighting for, you know, their religious rights, they're for their God. Scary shit. Well, let me say this. I want to say something nice about Jared. Relatively nice. I'm not a fan of Jared's. And what, you know, a lot of what, what I believe a lot of negative things about Jared. But what I think was interesting about Jared, late 2020 and early 2021, is he basically absented himself from all the stuff, the steel stuff. He knew how crazy it was. And, you know, he took, he took one of his trips, uh, I think, to the Middle East, um, just to get away from it all. And he made damn sure he had nothing to do with January 6th. And, um, you know, he, he knows how crazy his father was. Yep. And, uh, he just was there along for the ride to see you know, what he could get out of it. 100%. Okay. So, big picture time now, George. After all the dots are connected about who was involved in January 6th, it's my belief that it will prove that Trump presided over a vast criminal conspiracy to overturn the election. Now, when his own people inside the government failed him and then the courts rejected him, he now turned to the mob and incited an insurrection. Even if this is proven, what will be the political outcome, in your opinion? Are there enough persuadable voters who aren't already outraged that this will cause an uproar? Because short of referring Trump to the DOJ for criminal indictment, what's des- what's the desired outcome for you here? I'll make sure this guy get, never gets near the Oval Office again. And I think that, you know, if, if all of this stuff comes out and is understood and presented well to the American people about January 6th, you know, I mean, what happened in 2020 was this, this massive, massive turnout to make sure he didn't stay in office. And I think that if Trump were actually to run and become the nominee of the Republican Party, which you question, and I hope you're right, but if that were to happen, uh, I think you'd see a similar groundswell. Um, and I think you'd be, you know, you'd be able to elect my dog president if, you, if, if, if she were running against Trump in 2024. But that said, it's going to be very, it's going to be a very traumatic campaign. He's going to, he's going to try to take down as much of the country with him as you know, as he can and, and cause as much disruption and chaos as possible because that's that's just his deal. He, he wants to see that. And so we'll see. Yeah, sickness. But, you know, George, um, as I said to you earlier on, 
the hour goes by very, very quickly. So I have one last question for you. And I want to change gears for a moment and discuss the strange romance, this bromance that some members of the far right have with Russia and Vladimir Putin. From what I understand, there is a belief that Russia and Putin are somehow the saviors of white Christianity. Now, in an important piece from The Atlantic that you retweeted by Ann Applebaum, she writes, and I quote, their motives are curiously familiar. All around them, they see degeneracy, racial mixing, demographic change, political correctness, same-sex marriage, religious decline. The America that they actually inhabit no longer matches the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant America that they remember or think that they remember. And so they have begun to look abroad, seeking to find a spiritually unified, ethnically pure nations that they imagine are morally stronger than their own. Nations, for example, such as Russia. Now, I was hoping that you could unpack this for my listeners and discuss how this impacts the viewpoint of folks like fucking Tucker Carlson, who's absolutely insane. I mean, Ann Applebaum is just a terrific journalist and a terrific writer about authoritarianism and the dangers and threats to democracy. And, and the point she makes there is, is a good one, and it's consistent with what other scholars point out. When, when you have an authoritarian or fascistic movement um, that's undermining democracy, and one of the things they do is they create an image, they try to create an image of a past glory that, that a nation had that it needs to reattain. I mean, Hitler did it in the 1930s uh, by talking about the the stab in the back. I mean, he's trying to bring a nation back to its to its rightful place in history. And you see a lot of that nostalgia um, in any kind of group that becomes sort of um, attached to a, a charismatic authoritarian leader. I mean, that's the, you know, the whole red hat thing was make America great again. And that was what that was about. And part of it also is they, they look abroad. They often look abroad for examples and models that they say, look at this utopia in, in, in this other country. You know, I mean, it, it happened with the left, the left, the authoritarian left in the United States, the communists, you know, would, 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 would glorify the Soviet Union, leave apart the fact that Stalin killed tens of millions of Ukrainians and Russians and leave apart, um, you know, the, the oppressive nature of the Soviet regime. There's this, there's this want to, to there, there is this desire and necessity to create some kind of a utopia that is the aim of, 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 of the object of the political movement. And here, you know, it, it, it's crazy as it is, some people are glorifying Russia, and, and in, they're also glorifying, and Tucker Carlson's guilty of this in particular, I mean, he did a bunch of shows from, from Hungary, they're glorifying Orban, and uh, uh, Trump is praising Bolsonaro, I mean, the, these, these Birds of a feather, they flock together in this way, and they, they look at each other and point to each other as we can, we this is the success we can have if you only follow what I say. And you know, the, the, the dear leader um, uh, approach, this this authoritarian approach to um, uh, to, to politics that, that is, 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 is enchanting to people who don't want to think deeply about politics and don't want to think about how messy life in a democratic republic. It necessarily is. 
George, there's a big problem with even the things that Tucker Carlson, um, you know, is repeating. I mean, this whole notion of political correctness, right, this uh, degeneracy, racial mixing, demographic change, political correctness, same thing, religious decline, right? So basically, they're looking to try to create some sort of a, you know, of again, ethnically pure nation. The problem is nobody today, or almost nobody, few people are actually ethnically pure. There's mixture from all over the place, and it doesn't make a difference, you know, where, you, where you're from. I mean, my, myself, my father born in Poland, my grandmother Argentina, you know, my, um, what do you call it, my great-grandmother was in from uh, Odessa. You know, I have, it's, there's mix all over the place. There is no ethnically pure. This, this concept really doesn't exist unless you're one of these indigenous tribes that are living inside of, you know, you know um, the, the rainforest. You know, it just doesn't exist. And even they intelligently go to other tribes so that they don't end up with, you know, ethnically pure nations. Because as we all know, uh, bad things happen when you're marrying you know, your own relatives. You know, there are, there are issues hey, that hey, pop stop, up. Stop, stop attacking Rudy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's, it's I don't know. It, it's, it's nuts. The whole thing is crazy. And I don't understand why people in America are following. But, George, let me thank you, as always. It was a uh, lot of fun, Michael. It's been too long. I really, I really, too, I really appreciate your time. It's good to be able to see you again. It's been a long time. Send my love to everybody, please. And um, stay in touch. Be good. Thanks for having me. Thank you, George.